This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on How She Does It, where we talk about all things women, money, and power. I'm Karen Feinerman. While it may feel like summer just ended, the holidays are right around the corner. And this is a time when many of us give back, whether we're volunteering at a food bank or donating to a cause we believe in. This year, our donations could be more important than ever. Nearly 5 million fewer people gave to charity in 2022 than in 2019, according to Charities Aid Foundation. And from 2021 to 2022, charitable giving dropped by 3.4% overall, according to the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Further complicating the picture is that today, there are more than 1.5 million nonprofits in the U.S. alone. So deciding where your donations will make the most impact can be a challenge. Thankfully, we're going to break it all down and answer your philanthropic giving questions with Soraya Alexander, Chief Operating Officer at GoFundMe and President of Classy. In Soraya's role, she helps people and nonprofits share their stories, connect with supporters, and reach new donors. Soraya, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Very happy to have you here. A lot to ask, so let's just <laughs> jump right in. To start, I'd love for you to break down what you're doing at GoFundMe and what you're doing at Classy and how those two companies which are independent, but together, how they function. Great. So GoFundMe, most people have heard of. We really try to provide a platform that helps people help each other. So we allow people to set up campaigns for themselves, for others, in moments of acute need and in moments of opportunity. And really, the core of GoFundMe is around community building. So how do you find people and causes that you want to support, show solidarity with, come around? And that's financial support and emotional support. 
And Classy, you probably have not heard of unless you're in the nonprofit space. We provide white-labeled digital fundraising tools for thousands of nonprofits. So you may not have heard of our brand. You probably have donated on our platform. You'll go to a nonprofit's website. You'll click donate. A lot of the time, that's our tech. You sign up for a 5K. You go to a gala. A lot of the time, that's our tech. And we support collectively billions of dollars of giving across all of these different causes and different scales of giving. And so our real focus as now a combined company is figuring out how do you unlock generosity at ever greater scales. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, the classy part is all 501c3 nonprofits. Correct. And the GoFundMe part can be anything. And I think what sort of pops into most people's minds is either a very specific crisis or a particular story of someone's hardships that seems to resonate with people. It's sort of across the board. That's right. It's moments of crisis and moments of opportunity is a lot of what we see. So they can be individual crises. You know, somebody needs help with medical bills or paying for college or one of these individual things that happen in all of our lives millions of times around us or these moments of mass kind of disaster relief and how do you show up for these communities quickly in those moments. And then also we see really amazing moments of seeing potential in the world. So fundraising for a community garden, fundraising to help small, let's say, food truck find brick-and-mortar retail and help them make that down payment. So really kind of moments of uplifting and community solidarity. You see kind of both on the platform. And you're right that there are individual moments of giving. And we also have nonprofits raising money on GoFundMe. We also have GoFundMe.org that facilitates millions of dollars of philanthropic giving in kind of the more traditional sense. So I know sometimes people want to give and they don't know how to give and they don't know how to vet whom to give to, which organizations to give to. So does GoFundMe have sort of a good housekeeping seal of approval? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question for two parts. So the first part is, absolutely, why do people come to GoFundMe? Why do people find the nonprofits that they support? And you're right, there's this huge infrastructure behind the scenes, people and technology to say, We can vet fundraisers. We can verify fundraisers. We make sure that the mission of an individual campaign is where the dollars will go. We make sure that the beneficiaries are the intended beneficiaries. One in three fundraisers actually started on behalf of somebody else. So you will see, you know, a family member or a colleague or a neighbor in need and you say, I think I can do something. I think I can rally support around them. How do I set those campaigns up and how do I drive that support? And yes, we have trust and safety and risk teams behind the scenes, making sure all of those funds are verified and going in the right direction. But actually the bigger question question that you're asking, I think when you started the conversation, you talked about these declining giving trends. There's something really profound there, which is when you look around and you see these moments, we'll stick with crisis for a moment. People by and large, feel very powerless. They feel anguish for these communities. They feel heartbroken for what these individuals are losing their families, losing their livelihoods, losing their homes. They want to show up and help. And they're saying, I don't see myself or my agency in any kind of scaled response. I don't see myself in these huge, scaled, nonprofit response efforts. And so I just may as well not give, even though the heartbreak is there. And what we see with a lot of the giving that happens on GoFundMe is these moments of very human connection and solidarity. People showing up and saying, I see you. I want to 
essentially wrap my arms around you and I know you need money. We need money to pay for food tonight. We need money to pay for lodging. I need money to get my kids clothed again. And also, I need these words of support so that you know you're not alone in this. And that human connection, there's really nowhere else on earth that replaces, you know, GoFundMe is kind of a unique moment where you can, or a unique platform to do this in. And it's very profound. And what you'll see are hundreds of thousands of people showing up for each other in a way that I think restores some sense of maybe not control, but at least participation in a, a really stressful world. Mm-hmm. So I think that the connection totally makes sense. Yeah. And I'm wondering a couple things. Sort of what's the average size of the GoFundMe raise? And then you have some that have just gone viral. And what makes something take off like that? Yeah, there is no good average that I could tell you that represents the different stories on the platform. And the reason is there are very specific needs. We have a student who was starting the school year who looked around and saw all of the student lunch debt in his elementary school. And he had suffered from food insecurity within his family. He had student lunch debt. And he said, I can rally people around and make sure none of my classmates start the year with student lunch debt, which is just an incredible emotional burden to put on an elementary school student. He started a fundraiser. He had very modest goals. The community found out and he raised several thousand dollars. That was enough to eradicate lunch debt in his school. You don't need huge dollars to make real impacts on people's lives versus something like Maui that across our two platforms, over $70 million was raised. Tiny fraction of what is needed to rebuild this communities, but so much individual agency that you're seeing, so much individual community that you're seeing coming around these these people who need the help in those moments. And so I think that when we talk about individual connection and individual community, those moments of either it's my first degree network, it's my friends and my family, and I need a place to go and to show them that we care, or these moments of we accept donations from 190 countries. We've had donations from 190 countries Collectively, over $26 billion has been raised, hundreds of millions of donations, and all of those are moments of connection that scale to have massive impact. So let me ask you about the different kinds of donors that you have. And generationally, I know on your website, you talk about how donors give differently depending on are they Gen X, are they boomers, are they Gen Z? How do those differ? Yeah. So uh, what we've found is that older donors generally have established causes. They have found the organizations that they feel a connection to. They are very consistent. Younger donors are really figuring out what is their philanthropic role in the world. How do they show up and represent the things that they care about through their giving? They're much more impacted by things like disaster relief or big social movements. So some of the big policy changes or some of the big social moments that have captured our attention really change the way that younger donors are giving. And the question is, how do you retain that engagement? So again, we've been seeing this kind of stubborn decline in individual donor participation and individual giving levels over several decades. And the question is, why and how do we counteract that? And I have a working hypothesis. We've been spending a lot of time trying to understand it. But I think what's happening is you don't have these individual community centers where people are encouraged to give and you're giving around a community that you know. Literally community centers? I'm talking about things like churches and religious participation. I'm talking about there's been conversations of the decline of things like bowling leagues. All of those were how you would discover 
places to get involved. And that getting involved was volunteerism. It was actual philanthropy. And so now you're left with these kind of one-way conversations where you say, I guess I'll give 100 bucks here. I guess I'll give 200 bucks there. Does it have an impact? I'm not totally sure. Does my dollars matter in the scheme of the scale of what we're trying to address? I'm not really sure. And so a lot of what we're working with our nonprofits to do is say, how do we build those connections and show the impact that you can actually have? How do we help people find their communities of, you know, oh, I am also a person who cares about this cause and that cause, and I can find people like me and I can see the impact I'm having. And I think when you look at the GoFundMe platform, I know that my $100 will have an impact on your ability to buy textbooks, your ability to pay for your cancer treatment, your ability to pay rent so your kids can have a roof over their heads the next month. They're very human scale problems. And so then your impact is very tangible and real. And what we're trying to do is say, yes, how do we celebrate and elevate that? And also take some of those learnings for the organizations working at scale on some of these very difficult problems and show how these stories of of, uh, solidarity, support, impact actually do translate and play a role in curing cancer at large, trying to address homelessness in massive metropolitan areas, things like this that need big dollars, but those big dollars can come from individuals and and helping people see themselves in that is, is a lot of what we talk about. So when you think about the goal of GoFundMe and Classy, what is your mission statement? Help people help each other. It's not about us having a particular agenda other than trying to unlock generosity and connect people to causes that they care about and see their own agency and impact in those causes. I think so often people disengage not because they don't care. They disengage not because they are not generous. They disengage because they don't see their role in the solutions. And we are trying to show what an impact people can have showing up for each other. So... I've always been interested in this sort of psychology of giving. And would you say that a person who visits your site is inclined to give X number of dollars per year, regardless of how they choose to spread it, or is it more, oh, this speaks to me, this cause, and I'm going to go above and beyond and give maybe more? And one of the things interesting in your site, we talk about the Gen Z giver will maybe pare back something in their life to be able to afford to give. And maybe the older generation, maybe they're wealthier and it's not as dependent on their day-to-day budget, will continue to give no matter what. What we have found, which is really interesting, is contrary, I think, to the assumption that trust begets action, it's actually the action that begets trust. And so what we will see is visitors to the platform, regardless of the Classy platform or the GoFundMe, we will see visitors coming and looking and engaging with a campaign, engaging with a cause. And by engagement, I mean consuming the content, just looking at what's going on, who is giving, what is the purpose of this fundraiser. And they will watch and they will watch and they will watch. And at some point, something compels them to give. Once they have given, you see them much more likely to give again across causes, across organizations, across campaigns. It's that action that then helps them see, oh, that felt good. That felt like suddenly I am participating and I will do it again. And so it's not that you come as a giver or not, but once you become a giver, you're much more likely to stay engaged. And so our task is how do we continue giving reinforcement and 
those uh, positive signals that, yes, you did have impact, stay engaged. Yes, you're on the right track. Yes, you're doing something really meaningful and validate that activity because it's already happening. And we want to keep kind of honing in on that initial action to, to drive ongoing giving. We also see that I think contrary to some belief around, let's say, a fixed wallet share, you bought a pair of shoes, you're good on sneakers for a while until you run them through. That's not the case with giving. You can give, but there's actually very little restricting you from giving again if you have those positive signals. You haven't said like, oh, okay, well, I've, I've cured hunger now, you know, that okay, so I'm good. Well, we still have all these other causes to kind of focus on, or you can do more. There's never a sense that you actually have uh, gotten all you have in the way that a consumer share of wallet, like that concept shouldn't exist. And yet that's still the way many in the philanthropic sector might engage with something. It feels like there's a fixed cap. We don't see it on the platform at all. Interesting. That's sort of a bit surprising that the more you give, the more your capacity or your desire to yeah. give grows, regardless of your capacity. And even if that crowds out other things, that's really interesting. All right. I want to stop right there. And I got so much more to ask you, particularly about you. <laughs> so we'll take a quick break. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Soraya Alexander. Okay, I want to ask, how did you get into this business, this business of giving? You know, I've seen your resume. You had a brief stint early on in philanthropy, but then a number of corporate jobs. Tell me your path. I was in college and I knew that I wanted to try to help save the world like most young people do. And I couldn't figure out why adults made it seem so difficult. And so I went to D.C., worked in social enterprise and was completely disillusioned. I felt like I was not having any impact. I got to say that I was working on interesting things. And truly, my day to day was very boring and it felt very ineffective now I know that's just a lot of entry-level jobs, and you kind of pay your dues, and you learn, and your job is to absorb an apprentice. I thought I was much too big for that in my early days, so I got hired by a client. I went out and started working with PBS on some of their shows, and I kind of got sucked into media almost accidentally. And after a while doing that, I said, okay, still this feels like I'm not using my 
brain enough. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm filling my days, and I don't think there's a lot of impact here. So I may as well go back to school. And I fell into business school. I had no aspirations to go to business school. And now it all makes sense in hindsight. But of course, as you're going through the journey, it doesn't make any sense, and you're just being opportunistic. You went to Harvard Business School, (laughs) which is kind of a good one. So you're there, and did you find other like-minded people, or were most people there because they wanted to do a corporate thing, or they wanted to do something not where you were? People were there for a range of reasons, though it does definitely funnel you to a few career paths. And I'm a little bit contrarian, and so I ran away from those as fast as I could. What it did make me really appreciate was really smart people and how they approach things, how they approach problems, how they think about life, how they engage. It was an incredible experience. I uh, am eternally grateful for that. It actually reinforced my need and desire to find something that would really challenge me in that same way. But if I could find it for causes that I believed in and platforms that advanced good in the world, that was my mission. And so I kind of stuck with media for a little bit of time, but media kept dragging me more corporate. And suddenly I'm in consumer strategy and I'm in customer psychology and I'm in loyalty. And you keep going down that path and suddenly I'm in retail, but doing similar things, understanding digital experiences, and how do you engage people to act? How do you really tap into these early signals of interest, of desire to spend, of desire to keep coming back, desire to engage with a brand and understand it from a mass analytical lens, from a digital lens, from a psychological lens? And I found it enormously fascinating. It was so much fun. I worked for Dick Sporting Goods. It was a retailer that is trying to build sport in people, and we really believed it. These were true believers who thought athletics made lives better, built communities. We were really invested in youth sports, and they were very hard problems to solve. When you basically have the entire U.S. population in your database, how do you drive growth? You drive it by deeply understanding the different cohorts of consumers. I ran our loyalty programs there. I ran digital experiences there, and it was a wonderful place to be. And once I had kids and I wanted to go back home closer to parental support, I found this company that was basically e-commerce, but for the nonprofit sector. And it couldn't have been more of a dream job. It was everything around how do you engage via digital experiences and via consumer psychology people to spend more for causes that were trying to advance good in the world. I couldn't think of a a more amazing place to find. So that was classy or that was something else? That was classy. Okay. Okay. And so you got there. You were not the president when you got there. I came in. This is kind of the the way that startups work. I came in to build product marketing and partnerships. I had to Google what product marketing was, and they still offered me the job. And within a few months, I took over marketing. And then we saw that we had all of this potential to really engage with our nonprofits in a completely different way. They were starting with tiptoes into particular campaigns, but we saw the power of what great tech could do. These are often very resource-constrained institutions, huge ambitions, small staffs. Technology can really be the bridge between that ambition and the resources they have. How do you actually scale donor engagement? How do you uh, tell stories in really personal ways? How do you drive higher donation amounts, higher retention for these sustaining donors. Technology can help in really profound ways for that across thousands of organizations. So I built a customer growth team that worked with nonprofits to realize the potential of what they could do with great tech. And from there, we went through several rounds of transformation and innovation. And 
I'm not necessarily the best person to take a concept and make it live, but I can take something that's there and transform it. That is my sweet spot. And so there was a lot of kind of turnaround work that had to happen to deeply understand what it looked like to fulfill the promise to our customers. And so I stuck with the organization and kept kind of taking on more roles, ultimately became COO of Classy, and then we started talking to GoFundMe. And GoFundMe, funnily enough, was a company that had formed within a few months of Classy, within blocks of each other, in the unlikely tech hub of San Diego. And they were onto something completely different. Same idea, but from a very different lens. How is it completely different? It seems like the this DNA of it yeah. is the same. That's actually probably a good point. I think about approaching philanthropy from very different lenses. Classy is really trying to empower the nonprofit sector, 501c3s, to even greater heights, to really engage people. I think GoFundMe is saying you can affect huge change for moments of person-to-person connection. And so the scale is a little bit different, but you're right that it's ultimately just about helping people help each other, finding these moments of connection. But you're right. The DNA was probably similar. We'd been on very different paths. And as we started talking about what could we do together, we saw there was a lot of potential. We ended up merging the companies. I took over this kind of joint role. I took over running Classy while stepping into the COO role on the GoFundMe side. And we operate as very independent businesses to a large degree now because of the consumer focus versus the nonprofit focus. But what we are trying to build is to say, when you come to GoFundMe and you help somebody in need in this immediate moment, your neighbor, again, God forbid, has cancer and they need funds to help pay for their cancer treatment. What happens then? What happens afterwards? Well, I'll tell you, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is a client. So the second you sign up for a GoFundMe, you know, to help pay for these cancer treatments or you set it up for your neighbor, we can reach out and say, hey, I know the organization who can get you into the right clinical trials, can get you support groups, can get you resources, can help you through this process beyond financial support. Are you interested? And then once you're hopefully in remission, did you know this organization, once you've uh, donated to this cause, do you know there's a cause working to cure cancer so nobody ever experiences this again? Do you want to be introduced to this organization? Because there's no concept of, let's say, donor stewardship on the GoFundMe side. Right. These are people's family and their friends and their colleagues. And once you have donated and once you've shown these kind of words of support and rallied around this person, you go back to just being their community. But now you've been touched by these causes. How are you then parlaying that into support and affinity for organizations working at scale on these issues? We think there's a really beautiful thing to be built here, and that's what we're working on. So what happens in the scenario where you have a cause that kind of goes viral? It's not an organization that has a big infrastructure. And there you have this pot of money and someone who probably has no idea what to do with that. Do you help them figure that out? And it may be way more money than their cause needed. And what might they do with that extra money? We are working on that quite a bit. A lot of uh, what we actually do behind the scenes is we will partner with organizers and with donors to say, how do we match your interest and your capability to raise more dollars? If you can give 100 or you can give a million, you will have impact. And so let's give a forum to raise. And we will work behind the scenes on saying, okay, how do you want to distribute what are you thinking about raising? How do I make sure I'm, you're telling the stories in the right ways to compel people to action? Let's work with you on the videos and the content and the follow-ups and the kind of clarity around those dollars. Let's make sure we are verifying the beneficiaries of these fundraisers via our trust and safety infrastructure to get the funds out to 
validated, vetted beneficiaries, and fast, right? We can move very, very fast, a lot faster than some of the bigger entities. And we can kind of help facilitate all of that behind the scenes. And I think we can do that across a range of causes. And now I'll tell you, for example, the Maui relief efforts. We were working with the communities, setting up GoFundMe organizations, and then we had a verified hub that also featured classy nonprofits to say, you pick how you want to engage. We will have a fund that can disperse across all of these different things. We will help you find campaigns that have not raised very much. We will help connect you to organizations. We don't care how you give. We just want to give you all of the tools to figure that out with the most kind of personal and authentic connection to you. And that's what we care about is the giving, not to whom. Uh-huh. So also GoFundMe will back small businesses. What are some of your success stories of small businesses who were kind of stuck, came to GoFundMe, and it really helped get them out of the rut or onto the next level for them? We have one person, Dion Dawson, who lives in Chicago, who saw the food desert issue and said, I think the way we're solving this problem is all wrong. And he started fundraising on GoFundMe to say, I think I can, with dignity, buy my community fresh food, great produce. I'm just going to put it in a fridge and you can come get it. And you don't have to wait in lines. You don't have to take five-year-old canned peas that are sitting on a shelf. You're going to have dignity and anonymity. And it's just going to be there available in the communities in which you live. And I'm just going to stock the fridge. And I'm going to start with that. And he has built this idea with the platform of GoFundMe. He now has boxes in grocery stores where you can come almost like the kind of Amazon pickup lockers. He's got the same thing for families, assigned food boxes of fresh food. He has a fully employed staff, no volunteers. He wanted to employ people from the community. And he keeps scaling in these incredible ways. And he's become a force in the city of Chicago. And now he's actually a classy client. He's graduated from this small individual social entrepreneur to running a well-run, scaling 501c3 that is having an impact on thousands of people's lives in Chicago. And it's the perfect sign of, I see an opportunity. I don't need the classic funding model to go and pitch my idea and fight through all these application grants. I think I can just rally people around the potential and I can build this on my own. And I think really democratizing fundraising, which is actually a very complicated process if you get into the institutions of fundraising, we are able to see democratized fundraising and democratized giving in these really powerful ways. And his story is one of thousands of people who have said, you know, I think I can lean in on these areas and there's no age limit. You see the range of community stepping up and building for the things that they want to see in the world. That's a great story. And I got to think that so many times you see these stories that are so uplifting and what an amazing place to work. Is there ever, though, a time where you're like, oh, my God, I got to deal with this again? Like, what's the hard part of your business? I see the fulfillment for sure. The hardest part is how quickly we move on from issues, crisis after crisis after crisis, and the need overwhelms the response all of the time. And so that's the hardest thing is when you actually see these moments of real declaration of, I need help, and I don't have anywhere else to go. And the response is amazing, and it's affirming, and it's never enough. And that's actually the hardest part. I understand that. All right. There's always a lot more to do. It's a fascinating job. It's a fascinating field. I really appreciate what you do. And I always think, thank God for there are people who are on the ground doing something 
And also, we've got to be thankful for people who organize and help other people to do something, right? So leverage, I always think about leverage, and you are in the leverage business of helping people help. So what's next on the horizon for you for GoFundMe and Classy? GoFundMe and Classy continue to try to scale our individual efforts to help people and help organizations raise more for the causes they care about. What I'm really focused on is how do we bring the platforms together to unlock more generosity across sides and connect people to causes that they don't even know they could support and they don't even know they could have impact for. So a lot of our focus is on building more of that community across both. So stay tuned because we're deep in that work right now. Soraya, thank you so much. This has been a really fascinating, enlightening conversation. I really thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. All right. We have to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with the lightning round. If you care about what happens to your money, you need to listen to SoFi Daily. Unlike other podcasts talking about finances, markets, and businesses, some spending more than 60 minutes to cover everything, SoFi cuts to the heart of the financial world in five minutes or less. In each episode, you'll hear about every financial piece of news you need to know, from previous market updates and future trends to things happening that day. It's a great way to track what's going on and how it could affect your money. So stay on top of your finances. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. From the latest in artificial intelligence to new apps and business upgrades, the tech industry is always changing and growing. So keep up with a Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes released nearly every day, the Daily Crunch gives you a brief overview of the biggest tech headlines, and it's all delivered in around five minutes or less. So you can easily hear about the latest updates while trying some of those updates for yourself. Listen to The Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's The Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, here we go. So you may know this best as Would You Rather. And the only challenge is you can't think about the answer. You just have to go whatever comes to your mind at the moment. Okay, you ready? Think so. Okay. Would you rather receive an experience or a gift? Experience. Receive a catered lunch every day at work, but never get to choose what you order or pack your own lunch every day? Pack my own lunch. Why is that? I'm very particular. Okay. Commute two hours to your dream job or live two minutes from a mediocre job? Commute. Dogs or cats? Cats. Really? I know. I know. (laughs) It's not a wrong answer. It is. Society says it's wrong. Taylor Swift was with me. (laughs) Uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas? Christmas. Giving a lot to one charity or giving a little to a lot of charities? Oh, good question. Both? Both. Okay, we'll go with it. You can do it. <laughs> um, gala or a 5K? 5K. You a runner? No, but I am, <laughs> I am active. <laughs> okay. And then 5K, you can, you can get it done. Oh, yeah. if you, okay. Go viral once or have a small, loyal fan base? Small, loyal. Because you can build on it. Yeah. Small, loyal means you can actually tell the story and everything has nuance. And I think nuance is interesting. Good answer. Okay. Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. What are you reading now? Fiction. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I just finished Circe. I'm obsessed with that book. If you haven't read Circe, I find it. It's a beautiful book. No, I haven't. Okay. One to add. All right. Last one. 
what's the best investment you ever made and the worst investment you ever made? And it's a very broad definition of investment. Could be anything, could be a class you took, could be anything at all. Fertility treatments was the best. I hear you. I'm with you. Ugh, it's just incredibly painful. Such a beautiful, harrowing result. Worst The worst investment I ever made was the one minute to sign up for Instagram. It is such a time suck. I never post, and I waste hours, and it's depressing and a horrible use of time. I get that. I never post, but apparently there are hackers, and I ask a lot of people for Bitcoin. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) I'll make sure to say no when you come for me. Yes, please do. Please do. And say, hey, shut that down. Thank you so much for joining me today on How She Does It. Thank you so much to Soraya Alexander for her valuable insight on the charity landscape in 2023. When you have a moment, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to updates from the Her Money community at hermoney.com slash subscribe. Our producers are Catherine Tuggle and Haley Pascalides with help from everyone at Her Money. This podcast is mixed and mastered out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is from Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you here with us again. Onward.